Hello, John. Hey, Tarek. How's it going? It's excellent. Another week. Another week. We're getting back to the swing of things. The conference is over, and now we're getting back to everyday work. I'm on a bunch of new projects, and so that's on top of my mind, thinking about how to manage things, manage expectations. Uh, what about you, John? I'm just recovering from that conference. Okay. Yeah. I, I had to do a workshop in the basement you know, while the whole thing was going on, and then the workshop the day before, and then sort of some individual workshops. And so I needed a couple of days to have to go back and deal with a small baby basically. So there's never any yeah. respite. I, I can officially say this will be the last episode that we gripe about how hard it was, but it was hard. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're just on the tail end of our recovery now at the moment. Well, I'm glad you took that time and hopefully, you know, you have recovered over it because I mean, it was a huge undertaking. And so, <laughs> I mean, I was just a part of it just for a little bit and I needed a few days to kind of relax. You know, one thing that um, came up a lot during the conference, and, and I thought it would make a good topic for today, is that there were a lot of designers there, a lot of developers, a lot of data scientists, a lot of folks who you know aren't product managers. And someone when I was talking to, and someone that I was talking to had this great line. He said, can you help me product manage my product manager? <laughs> and I filed that away in my head. But this morning when we were thinking about topics, I thought that would be a very, very interesting topic. Like, how do you manage these weird product managers, you know, kind of both to get what you want, but also to realize your vision and maybe make how you work easier or build a better product or help achieve company goals more effectively? You know, how, how do you manage these people? I like how you phrased it as product managing your your product manager rather than working with or, or managing with, because I think there are a lot of relevant uh, parallels there, right? Like as designers, we have empathy for our end user. I think, you know, the number one thing when, when this topic comes to mind is having empathy for your product manager and really trying to understand where they're coming from. One thing that people miss all the time, and I think this actually has to do with how product managers communicate about their work. They see these product managers go off and do these meetings and come back and they they look shell-shocked and they look like their you know, calendars exploding. And it can be really hard to understand how much pressure they're under. You know they're not available or as available as they could be. And you sense that there's a lot of these conversations going on that you're not a part of. And that can actually cause a fair amount of distrust or questions about what's happening. But you just can't fit it into your head what their day-to-day -day is like in many cases. And it seems like the more opaque that is and the more uh, distant that is from the team and the more of these activities that are happening outside of the sort of boundary of the team, the more distrust that's built and the more uh, you know opaque and maybe uh, challenging having empathy is... <laughs> Um, becomes. Absolutely. And I think, I think it's a two-way road. I think, you know, today we will talk about how to do that when you're not the product manager and you're working with one. But on the other side of things, I know there are a lot of product managers just for the purpose of being effective. All the things you just mentioned, taking in so many priorities, pressures, expectations, a lot of PMs don't share that. And so they just kind of, you know, suck it all in 
Um, and that's helpful sometimes for progress because you don't want to, you know, you want to stay focused. But, I, you know, I know some PMs who just internalize all these pressures. And then over time, people just don't understand where they're coming from. And like you said, it builds that distrust. And so I, I definitely think it's on the PM as well to explain those stresses in a productive way. Um, but it's also on, you know, the people that work with them to try to understand where they're coming from. And maybe the actionable thing there for people, how can I connect with this person and and make it okay for them to tell me about their crazy day <laughs> or connect with them at the right time so that you can actually communicate and listen to each other instead of, you know, both listening with half an ear because you're so busy and you don't want to even be there. And I think that that, that is really on both folks. And, you know, we talk about product managing your product manager and you have a part in this too. You can create environments and create interactions with the product manager that are are more effective, you know, and you can try to give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt instead of slipping into the distrust mode, which is very, very easy to slip into. Yeah, absolutely. And that can happen from a professional standpoint and from a personal standpoint. I mean, getting to know anybody you work with can build a stronger relationship. And so I find when you have one-on-ones or team retrospectives, it's often how you phrase the question. It's very different to ask someone, hey, what's on top of your mind? Versus, hey, how are you really doing? You know, we've had some hard weeks. And they'll get different answers, just like most designers know how you phrase a question will get how you get the answer phrased back to you. And so, yeah, I think it's a balance between the two. It also goes to how you discuss your own needs. Mm-hmm. Um, I was chatting with a product manager recently, and and they explained that, in their words, half my job is just reining in developers and designers who want to gold plate everything and kind of, you know, go, you know, take everything to the extreme and make it perfect. And what I thought that was really interesting about that was that I'm pretty sure that if I talk to the developers and designers on that team, that's not actually their goal. <laughs> you know, they they have a need for craft, but they also want to be connected with the impact of their work. And the product manager wasn't necessarily framing problem or the context in a way that invited people to make their own decisions about trade-offs. And that's a really good example where, you know, sometimes in in these settings, it'd be very easy for a designer developer to just be like, you know, I I just need another day or two and not really communicate their needs. But one way to product manage your product manager is to say something like, I really care about the impact of this work. My bet is that by spending a little bit longer on this, we can make this more extensible, that the user experience is going to be better, that we're going to really experience some kind of upside by this. And I really uh, want you to, to partner with me to create space for us to try this bet out. That's a huge difference than, than being really you know defensive or aggressive. Yeah, totally. I think really trying to explain the value of things and speaking from a language that others understand. So for some PMs, you might need to speak to them about the outcomes something you want to do might drive. For, for another product manager, you might want to speak to you know, what it will accomplish in the short terms as opposed to the longer term outcomes. And so really trying to have the right frame of reference 
um, rather than being defensive about it, is absolutely so key in, in that communication. One important point there is is context and timing. These folks are extremely busy. I mean, everyone's busy. I'm not. We sort of single out these everyone, and and may, maybe busyness is not great. Maybe that's not actually creating extra value for us. But imagining that this person, you know, there's only so many hours in the week, and they want to have life and family and all those types of things. Often we really pepper feedback, and we we sort of vent a little bit, or we're, we're pretty reactive in the moment. And one thing that can be extremely effective there is just trying to create space and a cadence for certain types of communication. So the actionable thing is if you find yourself communicating with your product manager in these little passive aggressive spurts, <laughs> these this almost defensive stance all the time, could you create the space around like a weekly uh, meeting or collaboration session where you batch up those types of things and you discuss them together. I mean, that's management 101 and communication 101, but I'm amazed at how many of these misunderstandings happen because people are so overloading each other with communication that no one can actually listen. And so just creating the time and space for something, it does not really need to be discussed right now. Like it could wait three days. And that's one way to be much more effective in terms of uh, product managing your product manager. Yeah, and that's hard. You need to have practice doing that. It's hard to kind of hold back something you want to say and understand uh, when's a good time to say it. And that goes back towards you know having empathy for your product manager. And so the things I'm hearing uh, are really about trying to put yourself in the shoes of your PM, really trying to understand where they're coming from trying to use a shared language and really trying to explain uh, the desired outcomes of something. Um, and then really knowing when to share feedback, the timing and the context. So it's not just you know a fire hose of it. Let's go into a very specific example so we can kind of illustrate all of this in a practical way. So the other day I had a designer come to me and ask advice about wanting to do a research project before diving into mock-ups for something they were starting. And their PM was very hesitant about it and they wanted to just go ahead and start with mock-ups. It was an important project. And they asked, well, how do you deal with that? How do you convince your PM that you need more time? Um, and just like any good designer, my answer was, it depends, right? It depends why your PM wants to rush into it? Is it because of an urgency of a deadline? Is it because they don't understand the value of you know, the artifact or type of research you want to do? Is it because the PM is worried that you know, this is going to be three weeks and they won't be able to understand if it's progressing or if it's ever off track? You know, sometimes PMs just want to understand progress and you know, the speed at which things are going and if they need to step in or help out if something's going awry. And so I give a lot of examples. For example, something I've done in the past before a big project is we spent one day just building jobs to be done and personas doing a few artifact exercises for a product that wasn't ours, right? Removing all the kind of baggage and emotion and feelings people have about your own product and doing it for something people know very well. And by doing that, everyone got an appreciation for the artifacts without having to wait three weeks for them for their particular um, project. So that's an example of trying to, you know, 
explain to people the value of something before a long project starts without having to go into it. But like I said, there's a lot of different ways that you can help explain the value of a big research project before it begins. That's just one of them. Like I mentioned with the others, really trying to show how you would measure progress, maybe, um, you know, having clear milestones along the way, um, or just trying to understand the urgency of something and how you can communicate to other people. For example, something I mentioned to them was maybe you do do mocks. Maybe you do start off with very high-level conceptual mocks just to show them that materially there are a lot of solutions. Here are some material examples of a lot of directions we can go to. And that can even paint the picture that you do need the research, right? If you're saying you need the research to figure out what mock-ups to build, sometimes doing high-level mock-ups to show the different directions helps get that buy-in to do the research, to do the mock-ups properly. So it all really depends on kind of where that uh, concern is coming from, from the product manager and try to put yourself in their shoes, empathize with them and frame the conversation in a way that will be helpful for them as opposed to just thinking of it from the perspective of, you know, I just got to get this research through, right? I just, I just need those three weeks. Um, you know, no, by all means necessary, I'm just going to power through and brute force these three weeks and then people will see the value. Well, you can actually explain a lot of that value and get buy-in before you even begin. It's really interesting. I have a lot of those tiny little hacks <laughs> kind of filed away, but but some that stand out for me is that um, example, you know, someone is trying to tell you that there's a deadline and you could ask in a curious way, uh, you know, what would it cost the company if this was five days late? And then they look at you and say, well, what do you mean? I mean, the deadline's this time. And you're like, yeah, granted, is that a real deadline? Like, is there some real reason we need it done by then? Obviously, it's a spectrum, right? Like if it was one day late, would that cost the company a million dollars or $10,000? And that's a little passive aggressive. But sometimes saying that kind of thing in a curious way can get a really, really interesting response from someone. Another example is you do an activity in the beginning where you develop a learning backlog and you have the team indicate or dot vote on items that if you did not learn those things could present like a massive risk to the company or you lose the opportunity to really find some upside. And so instead of jumping into the research, you frame the rationale for the research, the value of the research. And before you know it, like the whole team is basically saying, you know, if we get that wrong, then, you know, we're going to see these adverse effects. Now, one interesting thing that happens when you do that activity is that it really forces you to have conversations about value and also ethics and also your philosophy as a product team. Because if you're willing to remove features that don't work, the best thing to do might be to actually build something. Try it, but commit to remove it if it doesn't achieve a certain goal that you're looking for. Now, if you're in a product culture that has never removed a feature in your whole life, and you express as the designer, like, look, I've observed that we've never removed something that we've shipped. We've never really iterated on anything that we've shipped. So therefore, this is very risky. And if we don't figure this particular thing out, we'll actually, you know, we'll, we'll be in a lot of trouble. So there's kind of these tricks of language that if you say these things in a curious enough way, <laughs> then you can 
kind of get in the product manager's head a little bit, but but show them that you are also thinking in terms of cost and benefit. Now, you might have different language around it or different beliefs around cost and benefit, but you're showing them that you're appreciating their cost benefit thought process and that you're ready to play the game with them. And I think that that's important. That's spot on. You know, I think what you mentioned about all these techniques, and I mentioned a few, there are so many. Um, but what's more important is what you said around speaking that language and showing them that you're coming from the same frame of reference, that, hey, I want to understand how you're thinking about the cost benefit of this, or I want to understand how you're thinking about, you know, the impact of this. You know, PMs love those questions because those are things they're constantly you know, rejiggering, reprioritizing in their head. They're constantly kind of understanding uh, the impact of something as, you know, a project might get scoped down or get rescheduled. And so by asking them for it, it allows them to actually articulate it to you, but it also allows them to kind of do that exercise for themselves um, in, in kind of that space with the team. And so, you know, speaking that language is super important as opposed to just saying, hey, what do you think about this? It's like, hey, I want to understand how we're approaching this and what's really, you know, the, the, the pros and the cons and where we could fail. What do you think, you know, how do you think we're approaching this? One thing that brings up to me too is back to this whole original statement about needs. Now, a lot of designers I know and developers, for example, they have a strong need not to beat up on users or create, they, they hate the idea that something they do is going to cause pain for human beings out there. They hate it. And they hate the idea that someone's going to get frustrated with what they're doing, or maybe they're not doing their best particular work. But consider the language here for a second, that if a PM says, oh, we're going to do this. And then you say, my job is to protect the users. I'm here to advocate for the users because if I'm not here to advocate for them, you're going to steamroll them, <laughs> right? Now, while that may be true, like while all your concerns and fears might be true with that, you've created this, this while that all may be true, you've basically said to the other people you work with, you do not care. And unless I am in the room, all hell will break loose. And so that's this example where people talk about healthy tension or who advocates for what or whatever that is it healthy? <laughs> so another approach to that, an alternative approach is to step back and to really help tease out the beliefs that exist in the room, the beliefs about frustration of users, the belief about uh, you know the long-term impact of really thinking about usability, which maybe no one's really talked about. And so that's just an alternate approach there. Then, you know, if I'm not here in the room, if you don't invite me into this meeting, it means that you're going to, you know, destroy our users with your, your rash decisions. When do you think is a good time to have that discussion? I found having them in retrospectives are helpful because the team is ready to kind of reflect on that. But have you found there are other good opportunities to have discussions like those? Kickoffs. This is why I'm a huge fan of starting together as a team. Even if your decision will be to go your separate ways and to work on a little bit of research or divide and conquer, because that's when people are super primed. There's less confirmation bias. There's less sunk cost fallacy. People are more open. When, when you've had six months to stew on a particular idea and build all your mental models around it, 
you're not going to be receptive to those conversations. But in those first couple days when people, there's a lot of divergence and convergence and question asking and, and thinking about it, to me, in my experience, that's when people are really open. And like I said, it doesn't mean that, you know, three days in, you can't decide as a team, wow, you know, it kind of looks like we knew a lot less about that than we thought, or, you know, wow, there's a huge bet here about whether that's ethical, <laughs> you know, the, I, I find that there's the right time to have those conversations. The worst time is when people have had a lot of time to build a lot of fuel for their particular, you know, convictions and then you mash them together with some solution that someone's come up with and, and basically they're just trying to defend it. One thing you need to know about PMs is that a lot of them basically have an idea and then they've been told by management, you know, you have to um, give people, empower people more. But you see them go into this meeting and they so obviously want you to do X. And then they do all these activities that promote, you know, all these ideas, but they keep nudging you towards X. It can feel very disingenuous. And so that's an example of where, you know, if you're a designer and you imagine or developer and you feel your tension level going up and you see that they're playing this particular game, is there a disarming statement that you can use to kind of help back away? Um, and one, for example, could be like, hey, Mary, it really seems like that you're set on this particular solution. Like, what could we do in the near term to demonstrate whether that's the right solution or not. That's a very different approach. What I'm hearing is that the best times to really frame discussions from the perspective of the PM so that you can product manage your product manager is times when you align, so at kickoffs, and times when you realign, like I mentioned with retrospective and reviews, uh, because I, I think you know, you've kind of alluded to it. Those are kind of the tent poles between where all the work happens. And those are the times to kind of revisit these these kind of questions. And so if you have that from the beginning, it's much easier to have those you know, follow-up conversations later. In the spirit of inspect and adapt, and I think you get to this with your retro idea too, is that sometimes people just do these regular retros on team health or what you're doing. Using the opportunity of an initiative retro to dig into the issue is actually a, a great opportunity. Now, it, it might mean that you were working in a way you weren't really excited about for you know one, two, three weeks or one, two, three months. But once it's really fresh, doing retros on initiatives themselves and kind of unpacking the play-by-play, -play, the decision quality, when you did what or whatever, is also a good idea. You know, it's kind of over. And maybe because it's over, it gives people the opportunity to give constructive feedback on new practices for future activities. So that's another idea. We hope this was helpful. Um, we're going to wrap it up short again. Um, I don't know if a 25-minute podcast can even be called short, but I think it's short for our standards. Um, let us know if this was helpful. I mean, like, like we've said in the past, we are not the definitive source on any topic, but hopefully talking these things through in a casual way helps people who are listening to try new ideas and try new approaches um, to, you know, everything they're dealing with at, at work. And, you know, I think this topic is helpful for people who work with PMs. I think it's hopefully helpful for PMs as well to understand how people feel having to, you know, work with them or kind of manage their expectations. One thing I think we might do with this too, 
and I haven't told you this, Tark yet. So oh, okay. I'm sorry. Is that maybe we can do a live Q and A for this also somewhere? Like people, I'm sure have a lot of very specific questions. You know, how about in this situation? What would I you like do? That. And then maybe we can set something up where we, you know, we can share the the stuff for this uh, episode, and then also set up a day and time to to do a live Q and A. I so really like I'm sorry. that. I'm, I'm telling you that now. So. <laughs> hey, no, I, I really like that because, you know, like I was saying earlier, you need those practical examples to tie the theory into just, you know, how do you reframe discussions from the product manager's perspective? Well, you know, give me an example and maybe we can share some things we've seen. So, no, I, I really like that idea. Let, let's set up a time and I guess we'll just use Twitter or Periscope and people can jo just join us online. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. Have a good day, Tark. All right. Thank you, John. Take care. All right. Bye.